Hello and welcome back, strangers of the galaxy, to Subspace Radio. It's our big 50th episode, Rob. Hooray! Who would have thunk that just uh, out of the blue message by Kevin Yank to Rob Lloyd would, uh, after I did a post about Strange New Worlds, would lead on to 50 episodes of two white guys talking about something nerdy. You know, Rob, that just means that neither of us are the type of person who is willing to admit defeat easily. That's all. <laughs> We're both stubborn. Too stubborn to stop. Despite, uh, it's it's our own Kobayashi Maru right here. You know? <laughs> I've been rewatching uh, Prodigy on Netflix to give them the uh, the views, the views in their logs to hopefully get a season three approved. But uh, yeah, I recently watched uh, the episode where Dal does the Kobayashi Maru test again and again. And that's the one with all the, uh, is all that the all voices? the holograms? Of, yeah. With exactly. uh, Jimmy Doohan and uh, Renee yes. Bouchard. And, Call and, me Scotty. Uh, it's a good one. I, I got to say, Time Amok is my, at this point, is my favorite episode of season one. The one where they're in different time frames and uh, Rock Talk spends a long time alone and teaches herself so much maths in order to fix the uh, the warp drive and, and basically grows up in one episode. I saw something, someone online just uh, uh, on, on uh, Twitter, I will not call it X. Uh, there are yeah. some... There are some hills I will die on. Um, yeah. yeah, but someone was, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of love for Time Amok uh, online at the moment because uh, a lot of people are doing what you are doing and I will be doing um, instead of doing actual work and chores around the house during my school holiday. To play to your predilections, Rob, it's a very Whovian, uh Doctor Who-like episode where a character kind of experiences an entire lifetime while everyone else just blinks their eye and uh, completely changes and grows as a result of the experience. That is a very Stephen Moffat way of uh, uh, is, doing yes. Doctor Who and, yeah, bringing that, those elements in. So we've got Who back as well as is now on Disney Plus, and uh, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful time to be across all fandom. But we are here to immerse ourselves in not the strongest that Star Trek has to offer, but perhaps the silliest. Day. That's that's my opening gambit, is that Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is the silliest Star Trek movie, for, yes. for good and for ill. Yes, it is It is William Shatner's magnum opus, the, the one that he'd been wanting to do for so long because dear old Lenny was getting uh, so many directing opportunities. William Shatner spit, spat his uh, prima donna uh, dummy and went, I want to direct one, and uh, sadly his entry into the Star Trek universe with his directorial debut, one and only Star Trek directorial debut is, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to much has been criticized about the criticisms and about this, the negativity of this. I'm really looking to find those, those gold nuggets that we can really, yeah. you know, scrub away any dirt that, uh, or barnacles that hang onto it. I know I'm mixing. My there metaphor. is good in this one. It's there just, uh, you got to look past everything else to see it. And what a way to celebrate 50 episodes by doing something uh, a bit out of the ordinary. We will be going through the entire movie and we'll be doing our own audio commentary. So take that, Mystery Science Theatre 3000. 
There you go. So if and when we make it to 100, we'll treat ourselves with a good movie, maybe. But we're going <laughs> to we're gonna do our time here. This is the one we have been dancing around. And I feel like it is a good time to revisit Star Trek V because sometime in the next year or so, I suspect we're going to get an episode of Strange New Worlds with Cybok in it. And uh, it will be good to have this somewhat fresh in our minds, I think. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're, and they're, they're bending the the continuity anyway i mean so the yeah. yeah with with pike meeting shatner i mean uh meeting uh kirk so let's just have it let's just have the two of them meet let's have spock and cyborg do stuff together they could do a whole it was all a dream at the end if they want to or it's another musical episode no we don't need that so uh, we are breaking from format with our 50th episode here. Listener, you can watch Star Trek V along with us. We are going to be watching it in real time here, effectively recording a an audio commentary to this movie. We're not the first to do it. We are certainly not the best qualified to do it, but um, let's see what stands out to us. What we've done here is we have queued up the film. We are watching the version on Paramount+. Plus. It is probably... I don't think they have done a director's cut of this film, so no matter which version you're watching, you can probably time it with what we're watching at this point. Mm -hmm. um, the important thing is a technical note to any of you who are using podcast players that cut out slices of silence or that, that you like to play us at 1.5 times, you're going to want to slow us down to 1.0 for this, and you're going to want to turn off that feature that cuts out moments of silence, because otherwise we will get out of sync with the movie you're watching. And you don't want that. You don't want there's that, a, no. There's enough of there's enough to battle through with this movie. You don't need those added hurdles. To We're going to be talking about Scotty's head wound, and you'll be going, what are, you, what are they talking about? It's Uhura doing a fan dance, and no one <laughs> wants that confusion. Yeah, look, yeah, two 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 moments uh, playing at the same time in our heads or anybody else's heads is is too much awkwardness to bear. Um, but yes, <laughs> so so what we've done is we have queued up the film at the Paramount logo. So when you start this film, the it fades in on the mountain and the stars fly in and form a circle around the mountain, and then just as the word Paramount appears. That's where we've paused it, and we're going to count you in, and you can press play with us, and then we're we're going to go. Rob, do you yes. have any other opening remarks you want to share before we get into this, or should we let the movie speak for itself? Look, it's Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. It did come out in the best year of cinema, 1989. Uh, it is Context uh, is good to get here, yeah. It is the year of um, uh, Dead Poet Society came out. It is the year of Ghostbusters 2. It's the year of the original uh, Tim Burton Batman, which uh, swept the pool. Uh, Field of Dreams. There are incredible films in the year 1989. And in Star Trek context, this is three years after Star Trek IV, the breakout mm -hmm. mainstream hit. Uh, and... Uh, one year after the premiere of Star Trek The Next Generation. So this is the first original Star Trek movie that came out as Star Trek The Next Generation was airing on our televisions. So yeah, surprising amount of um, eyes focusing on this and a lot of pressure on this to do well because after the uh, monstrous... Can they repeat the success of Star Trek Four? I will Can spoil they it now. They cannot. <laughs> and also with you know the, the struggles of the first season of... Um, uh, next generation to find the, that audience and especially oh, yeah. a lot of fans going that this is now star trek which is uh mm. um which would never happen nowadays obviously we would never have any type of not my version of a franchise yeah yeah 
<laughs> of course not. <laughs> Unheard I'm of. Doing big, I'm doing big inverted commas here. <laughs> well, let's get into <laughs> it. So I'm going to count us in from five, and we will hit play. So five. On one? On, on one? Oh, good point. Good point. We will we will press play on one. All right. Five, four, three, two, play. All right. Very ominous start. Whoosh to white. Whoosh to white. George Lucas would be very impressed. Here we are on the deserts of Nimbus 3 in the neutral zone. So this is, Rob, this is the first Star Trek film that I saw in cinemas live. Really? And yeah, I remember it really well. I remember like going to the candy bar and they had little enterprise pins for sale and this this feeling that Star Trek was happening in a cinema live around me was uh, like, it really colored my experience. Let's just say I really wanted to like this movie. <laughs> well, my first cinematic experience of Star Trek was Star Trek VI. So I remember watching mm. this on TV as the premiere. And there was always Gosh. rumblings going around at the time. Um, I do remember the rumblings of, oh, it, it oh. wasn't, you know, by the time it came to TV, there was already that, even though there was no internet at the time, the word had got around about Star Trek V. Yeah. Yeah, this is, um, you know... The dry riverbed and the smoking holes, it is ominous. I did like the idea of sort of like a weapon that where they use just rocks to fire. It gave it that. Yeah. It's starting primitive, though. Um, um, I, I think, oh, yeah, here we go. There's the first, this overlay of the, <laughs> it wasn't, uh, it wasn't dusty enough. So they have overlaid dust in post here. The first signs of the budgetary limitations of this film. We need more dust, more. Yeah. Here we go. Field of empty holes. Yeah, it's it's evocative. I'm I'm trying to decide whether at this point I was like in full full like oh yeah field of holes this is awesome, or whether I was still kind of reserving judgment at this point. It's yeah, hard to put myself in the mind of the 11-year-old Kevin Yank watching this, not knowing that this was our laughing Vulcan yet. Look, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting way to start uh, and, you know, a huge sci-fi epic is just yeah. two guys in a desert talking about their emotions, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, I probably did not care for his teeth. Those gross teeth are pretty <laughs> gross. So this is the first of Cybok's kind of like miracle healings. And for me, one of the things that didn't work the first time I watched this movie, but I wanted to pardon it, but it works less and less every time I watch it, is the vagary of Cybok's power. Yes. This feels like it's meant to be an allegory for like the TV evangelist, right? Who can wave his hand and shake someone by the shoulders and convince them they're cured of something. And... Uh, and win their loyalty, but there's not enough science in this science fiction to me. Like, okay, the first one can be mysterious, but I am expecting at some point in the movie, it will be explained what just happened here between these two people. Yeah, it never is. I mean, you kind of have to jump the to the conclusions yourself with 
when you find out what he actually is, which is about to be revealed. Like to have yeah. the big cold opener reveal that this guy is a Vulcan doesn't really work for me. I'm going, we've seen yeah. Vulcans. We haven't seen laughing Vulcans. Notice the horn on that, that uh, steed. Very true. But if there was some connection to say, because Vulcans do have that connection to, to the mind with mm. Vulcan mind melds and all that type of stuff, but it's just this case of he just holds them and looks at them. So it's that case of... Check out my ears. It have is. you noticed my ears? I love how he says it. I love, you're a Vulcan? So this um, infamously was meant to be Sean Connery. They wanted Sean Connery for this role. Yes, they did. Yes. And uh, and Shakari is named after Sean Connery. <laughs> and of course, we have the wonderful Jerry Goldsmith yeah. June back. Look, there are many things that don't work in this picture, but the music works great. And this Jerry Goldsmith comes back for the whole score, doesn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been yeah. away for a while and now he's back. And, yeah, not uh, since the first one. He reminds us of why we missed him. Very cool. Just the white lettering. And they're slightly out of focus. Like they're just a little, a little fat, those letters. <laughs> it's the attention to detail that matters, Rob. There's so much. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to foreshadow for later. The biggest sin this movie makes for me, the thing that I cannot forgive it for, is a simple piece of attention to detail. <laughs> and I wonder if you will be able to guess what it is before it comes. David Warner. David Warner. Great Underused in this picture. Lawrence Luckenbill. Yeah. Look, he does all right with what he's given, I think. I think so too. He's got he's got he's got a nice charm about him. And um you kind of believe in some ways his uh his descent into desperation near the end. This opening um matte painting here of the sunrise in Yosemite is reminiscent of the vistas of Vulcan we've seen in the previous two films. Yeah. I do miss a good old matte painting. I'm sounding more and more older. Oh, there's plenty to be had in this film. <laughs> and here's Kirk uh, scaling El Capitan in his uh, in his <laughs> fluorescent striped bloomers. I'm gonna say that now. There's been never any mention of Kirk's uh, uh, enjoyment of rock climbing or or free free climbing. Is no, there, it doesn't really come back, does it? It's never seen before and never seen again. <laughs> but it fits, right? Like Kirk is a daredevil. He's someone who likes to feel on the edge of of mortality. Yes. So this fits for me. Uh, I like this, and it's also a very it's a it's a big left shift from what we've had in the previous films. What you love so much, Rob, is the the aging warrior. Like this is. Kirk being portrayed as young again. Oh, yeah. Full this head is... of hair. Nothing suspicious about it. Big full of hair, big full head of hair, big, you know, big climbing up a big rock. Um, he is, yeah, he's very much, I am still at the prime of my life, which yeah. is quite an interesting turn. 
that maybe now he's having his midlife crisis, whereas mm. before he was like facing his mortality, maybe they flipped it around the wrong ways. Yeah. So he's at the denial stage of his grief. I don't know. <laughs> this is all good stuff. Like these are real shots of El Capitan with like the, it wasn't William Shatner to be sure, but the person climbing the crevasse, like that's a part of El Capitan. Um, yep. And we're, we are, I think with this shot here, if not very shortly to come transitioning to a set in the parking lot of El Capitan. <laughs> this is still this is still real mountain i think you can tell because you haven't seen oh there he is will shatner now that wall is looking distinctly plaster yes here we go love the uh the three-day growth on shatner there <laughs> so yeah this is the... like a forced perspective they're on a in a car park in a in a overlooking the uh valley here's mccoy I love, love the scarf. McCoy. Oh, the scarf, yeah. Love the scarf and love the <laughs> the jean the jacket. Fluffy color. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if Kirk is allowed to be old, uh, young here, McCoy is older than ever. <laughs> that's a good gag. I'm gonna end that's up talking cute, to myself. Yeah. That's a it's a classic gag. It's an old gag, but I love it. Yeah, McCoy's done it a few times, and they lean into it more each time. I like it, too. Look out. So what do you make of Spock in this jet boot scene here, Rob? Look, he they very much lean into the, the alien aspect of him going, I don't know anything about human at all. I'm going, really? Yes, I reckon, I agree with you. I think Spock has never been more data here. And it's very interesting that this is, this is at the same time as season two or filming around season one, season two of The Next Generation when they were creating the character of data. I think they were fascinated by no longer us observing the alien, but the alien observing us in return. Yes, very much so. And that's but one of the great developments, especially going back and watching classic ones, how the, there's that that underlying level of you're different to us. You, you've got to be more like us. We're the right way of doing things. Um, it's always from the human outside looking at Spock, whereas it's great with you know the introduction of data. Data reflecting back on humanity is uh, always what you know, good sci-fi should be about. You must be one with the rock is a line that'll come back later in the film. There's the fall. Look, we have said it before and it's worth saying again, Leonard Nimoy um, committing at 110% to this silly, silly stuff. Every time, no matter how bad, no matter how good he is, all you can always guarantee. There's, you can see the wire coming out of uh, Shatner's back. So you can see them that they're hanging sideways. And Spock's at a very weird angle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Classic. So this Classic. is what they do when they're on holiday. Kirk scales a mountain. Spock pesters Kirk in jet boots and goes, why don't you just do it this way? And McCoy just uh, frets. I did like the fact that we get a bit more time of them just hanging out socially. Yeah. I'd so, yes. One of the things I love this movie for, but I think is probably a trap, 
is the fan service. Like <laughs> the amount at the start that they give us, like just spending time with these characters as people on holiday. I love it as a fan. I'm not sure it makes it a good movie. Would you ever want to play slightly moist pool with me? Slightly Kevin? moist pool. Yeah. It's not um, completely drenching the balls, but they're just. Can I, you know, I can't. Speaking of the vagaries of this film, the amount of water in that pool is somewhat vague. Here at the start, it looks like it's a thin film of water that just kind of slows down the balls as they move around what seems to otherwise be a glass table. Uh, and later in the film, it seems like a deep pool that you could drown in. Exactly. And do we do we want to mention the three-breasted cat dancer? Less said, the better. <laughs> She'll be back. That's called shelving an improvement. I, uh, yeah. So here's David Warner smoking a cigarette. Oh, he's great. Speaking of doing a lot with a little burp. There you go. There's a sync point for you, listeners. If the burp was not exactly in time with mine, <laughs> fix it immediately. Um, there's a Romulan ambassador in this. Like, she doesn't do a whole lot. But um, the, the fact that the Romulans are kept alive in canon here is a, an interesting aspect of this film. And she doesn't really... <laughs> doesn't really behave very Romulan-esque, especially like the way it's been uh, uh, lampooned so much in Lower Decks. No, she's, she's pretty and sarcastic. That's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. And doesn't have the usual uh, bowl haircut. No. Um, Which I'm okay with. I love a bit of variety within my cultures in Star Trek. I don't know the actor, but she seems to have uh, at least some Asian background. And I'm not sure I've seen an Asian Romulan before. No, I don't think I can't. Nice look on the 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 race. So all this stuff of uh, the Paradise City here, they were very proud that they had built this set in the desert. And uh, some have said that one of the mistakes this film makes is it spent its money in the wrong places. <laughs> and uh, we're going to see some uh, some effects shots of starships soon that will uh, bear some criticism because uh, I think they, instead of paying industrial light and magic to do nice effects, they paid someone to build these plaster walls in the desert. They certainly do. Uh, we do see them run out of money the, the more we go on. This would be a quarks if it were made today. <laughs> They had to wait for the grid to pop up in front of the CRT screen before they could use it. <laughs> oh, he's it's so good. It's a fine line. It's a fine line this Lawrence Luckinbill treads because he's the antagonist, but he needs to be forgivable so that you can yes. feel his sacrifice at the end of the movie. And there needs to be a charm there as well. There needs to be he an is element. Very charming, yes. Like I think genuine. that was probably the first word on the casting sheet for this character. Yes. Charming. Like genuine. There it charm. is. That's a my favorite model in Star Trek, that's Starbase. 
And this is the shot from the end of Star Trek Four when they find start the Enterprise. And log entry, log entry by Scotty. Normally it's by Kirk and only Kirk. Yeah. Oh, maybe. It... Poor broken starship. Ahura is very sassy in this section. This is, uh, yeah, I love her bags of chips on her hip. Oh, just the. So um, they're playing up a romance, and this is this is to me this feels a lot like Troy and Worf in late Star Trek: The Next Generation, where they just kind of go, "Look, we've got a male and a female character. We need to give them each something to do. Why don't we tease a romance?" And now, I like it. I've I I a lot of people don't like the Scotty and Uhura romance, but I think it's cute. Look, it would have worked better if they didn't make him the brunt of so many brunt of brunt of all many yeah. so many jokes in this uh, one. Ahura's hair is amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, looks outstanding. It's sculpted in marble. And that little curl just at the front. Oh, oh yeah, I hadn't noticed the curl. All the boys get uh, the sideburns, the Star Trek sideburns. So she gets the <laughs> curl, I guess. She's beautiful. And again, this is some of the this is some of the <laughs> most interesting acting that Michelle Nichols is given to do in the entire uh, canon. In the in the movies, especially, she isn't given much at all. Yeah. Hikaru Sulu is wearing some kind of kimono in the forest because he's Japanese, obviously. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a storm. Oh, Walter leans into this so well. He's yeah. so good. He's having a great time. You can tell. He does. He is not taking it too seriously. They're all having a great time with this stuff because it's more than they're usually given in these films to do. Exactly. Oh, look at that communicator grill. You can see where it got bent. The prop's a little bent where at the oh. tip of his finger there. Oh, someone got in trouble for bending the communicator He's... grill. He's got such a great voice. Oh. All right, it's the row, row, row your boat. No, that's at the end of the. That's at the end of the movie. This they is the marshmallow scene. I thought they started here as well. Oh, maybe they are. Yeah, maybe they do. Yes, because then um, uh, Spock brings out his uh, his lute or lyre and yeah. plays that at the end. So speaking of me wanting to love this movie as an 11-year-old, one of the first things I did after I saw this film is I went and bought the novelization. Excellent. Which has expanded scenes, like there is more story provided that didn't make it to the scene, whether that's based on cut scenes or the author of the novelization took artistic liberties to flesh it out. But one of the things that's explained is the marshmallow gag, that Spock creates a marshmallow and McCoy kind of like chuckles and goes along with it, but they never actually explain what the deal is with the marshmallows. And in the book... McCoy is playing a prank on Spock where he has reprogrammed the library computer, predicting that Spock is going to look up how to do a campout. He changes the library computer to introduce, to change the word marshmallow to marshmallow. So that when Spock says it, he will know that Spock was studying up for his campout. And, and it's, you know, taking the piss, taking it, taking it. 
taking it out on his old friend Spock. But none of this is on screen. All that is left of this on screen is, hmm, marshmallow, interesting. And um, this is, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Like, did they cut the other scene and just not bother to rewrite this one? At this point, were they intending to shoot that other scene, but they ran out of money? Like, how did that happen? That there are these half ideas left in this film. Look, these are these are the audio commentaries where we need uh you know someone who was actually on the film. And we actually yes. have no, I don't we don't have anyone <laughs> here. It's just we don't know anybody, just ourselves. Um maybe something's revealed in the uh, uh DVD audio commentary release of it. So Kirk says here, I've always known that I'll die alone, which is a very big promise. Uh, and it serves a very small point at the end of this film, but it, it creates this thing of, okay, do we accept that Kirk has this premonition that he will die alone? Do we Should we accept that as fact? And in generations, when he falls off that bridge and he's uh, he's there with Picard in the moment of his death, does that mean that he didn't die? Like, what is going on with that dying alone? It's look. It's for for me. It's one of the few things I really like. I think it's a really beautiful. I'll be damned. A marshmallow. <laughs> there you go. Camping out. <laughs> Marsh marshmallows. Marsh marsh marshmallow. <laughs> Because I gather DeForest Kelly here knows what the gag is because he's playing it up. Yes. Yeah, I don't get it. That marshmallow is suspiciously long as well. I've never seen a marshmallow <laughs> it's a very Looks like it's two together. <laughs> yeah, as I was saying, it's one of the few things I really like about this. I, th I think it's actually quite poetic. The die alone thing? The die alone thing I like because Kirk has made a family out of starfleet and these people he relies on he knows that they will always have his back and they will always come for him so and he can't idea, die if he's not alone is what he's saying yeah is that idea of when i die i will not have anyone there who will have my back um whether it's so yeah. that is true in generations he is away from his family at that point yeah he is away from them i did I, I always saw it more of the idea that nobody was there even even having picard looking at him going oh that's a shame as he says yeah. oh my a <laughs> little bit of harmony there not too yeah, much it's but not little bad bit. so yeah. the tone of this film bears remarking on like it is obvious they were trying to do what worked about star trek 4 they're like oh Oh, people like comedy in their Star Trek. And so our characters, like the, it's Cybok and the, the Nimbus 3 stuff is played relatively straight, but all of the stuff with our characters here has been played for comedy. Literally every single scene with them so far in this film, and we're, we're nearly half an hour in, has been comic. Uh, and yes. that continues through much of this film. And... Uh, I feel like they overcorrected, like they learned the lesson of Star Trek Four too well. Well, it is that case of it works as Star Trek Four because the comedy comes from a mission that they have. They are yeah, that's right to save the Earth, but the comedy comes as they are on task. Whereas this, they're just they're just 
stuffing around. There's no purpose to the comedy. Com- I mean, I like that element of going, let's just, I like a bit of an element, probably not in a major motion picture, but I love them just yeah. hanging out and goofing around and all that type of stuff. But it works so well in Star Trek Four because you are in the parameters of a movie and you need to be on that mission. Mm. And the so, comedy comes from that. I forget what space probe that is meant to be. It's got a plaque similar to the Voyager probes, but I think it's meant to be like Pioneer something, something, Pioneer 16. I'd have to look it up. One well, of the things we cannot do when we aren't editing our episode is look things up on Memory Alpha. <laughs> so this is the Klingon bridge set from Star Trek Four with a periscope added. And uh, these are this is like a younger Klingon captain and crew than we've typically seen. I love the um, I love Jerry Goldsmith's um, Klingon music and the playing with the theme in a new way. Yeah, the Klingon theme and how operatic it is, and so it really feels cinematic. I know it's in a movie, obviously, with a huge orchestra, but it just. Those tones are great. If only that theme was incorporated every time a Klingon was around. Yeah. I was, um, I was chuckling at the reaction when they blew up the, the space probe there, the, the, uh, female officer in the background, she kind of, she smiled broadly and kind of gave a little cheer at the destruction of the species of space junk. These are not serious Klingons. No, these, these aren't the top notch, uh, you know, uh, soldiers who will go into Skovacor. These are yeah. these are almost like the teenagers. They're going, all right, okay, let's. You know, that's their version of you know yeah. knocking ladder boxes. Yeah, we've seen a few of those Klingon captains that are like big fish in small ponds, or um, you know, they're they're commanders of a small ship on a small mission. And then they get the Enterprise in its sights. And they're like, this is our opportunity to make a name for ourselves." Oh, no, it isn't. Uhura has never looked better without a good bit of backlighting behind her. Beautiful shot. Yeah, agreed. That's a uh, Steven Spielberg trick in cinema, using a lot of backlight. Look at that. Beautiful. Yeah. Bill Shatner... Obviously, uh, I'm not sure if we've said it explicitly since we hit play, is the director of this movie and the star. So, you know, playing Kirk and directing for the first time. Okay, here we go. So we had some ugly space shots of the... uh, Oh, it's worth noticing the the reflection there. That is a reflection of a still picture projected... in front of them but it is nevertheless an attempt at something which is a reflection of of an effects shot on glass taking big swings this takes this movie does take some big swings does not generally connect on many of them but it takes the swings that's a lovely uh lovely setup of a shot i like the 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 placement of the actors it's a little bit a yeah. little bit staged a little bit theatrical yes. a good bit of flair and in a in a good uh setup not a usual three three shot setup so what i'm told is industrial light magic who famously did the beautiful effects work for the previous movies asked for too much money this time around and the production said well we don't need industrial light and magic we can do it 
with uh, some newbies, and uh, they were in over their heads, much as much as the um, the team behind Star Trek The Motion Picture was in over their heads. But what happened on Star Trek The Motion Picture is they spent way too much money to dig themselves out of that hole. Here, they just didn't dig themselves out of the hole. They accepted the poor, the I, poor I, I love the, the shuttle coming in. I love the smoke underneath it. And they they start walking out even before it lands. I think that's very Yeah, cool. yeah. I do like how Scotty's developed this this uniform now of the white skivvy underneath with the black vest. Yeah. They've each got their own kind of little bit of a look. So this is, um, you know, the the glitching computer and the turbo lift. Again, like the broken Enterprise is a bad move. Because Star Trek Three was about feeling the absence of the Enterprise. And right at the end, they give it back to us. And now, right I think there, they, hear, they just got too original. They got too creative. Right there, we did hear uh, Leonard Nimoy go, yeah, instead of yes, because <laughs> very unSpock-like for me. Spock yeah, going, is. yeah. Uh, the woman here with the with the yellow um, cord on her shoulder there, that is William Shatner's real-life daughter. Ah. A cameo. And the admiral on the screen is Harv Bennett, producer of this and that many other Star Harv Trek Bennett. films. I like Go Climb a Rock. Look, I, I love that combo. If I ever was to do a classic era um, uh, uh, cosplay, I do like that jacket. Oh, yeah. I do like that. It's like it's a recreational Starfleet yeah. jacket with the, with the T-shirt underneath. Yeah, that's a good combo. I never was a big fan of Shatner's setup, the clothing that he wore in uh, Star Trek Four. That was kind of a carryover from Star Trek Three, the weird button-up thing and the weird pattern on the front. Oh, this yeah. is kind of the same thing that Scotty wore, and I do like yeah. that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking fashion of uh, the 23rd century. <laughs> it's worth talking about. I was just looking at McCoy. There was a quick shot of McCoy there before where you could almost read the labels on his denim jacket, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to see what Brandy was wearing. Harv does really well. Who does? Harv? Harv Bennett. He does well. Yeah. Walk around the bridge. End of speech. Let's go to work. This is good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Clean hands. Muster, mister. Muster, mister. Yeah. This is good stuff. So this has this this feeling of the the crew coming together and making stuff happen. That feels that feels real. All his water bottles say NCC one seven oh one. I want one of those water bottles for the record. <laughs> I miss my old chair and sad Spock. Spock genuinely looked upset for him going, I'm really sorry, <laughs> Captain. I do love that blending of civvies on the ship. Yeah. So when you've got like the jeans yeah. and the Federation jacket, I do like that combo. Yeah. She really does have wonderful muscles. <laughs> he does too. I mean, oh. yeah, there should be love given. Like, 
just the the leather singlet top vest is yeah. uh, not often seen in Klingons. She's wearing a lot of makeup. I don't feel like we've ever seen a a, a female Klingon wear that much makeup before. Since the Klingon kids today, Kevin. Oh, this kills me. The popping out boing. Yeah. Boing. <laughs> Someone spent a lot of time on that prop, as well as that hairstyle uh, of that young woman. It's a, it's a very it's a very like sixties original series hairstyle. Yeah, the the beehive. General Cord. Yes. <laughs> I like a little building, bit of building up the building up the character there. It doesn't amount to much, but it's good. They don't talk about Sinjin, whatever his name is, David Warner's character. No praise no, for him. He's just hanging out. I heard he smokes a lot of cigarettes. Very not Romulan, this performance. No, not at all. Not she. That actor has never seen an episode of Star Trek. With there a Romulan we go. in it. Hey. Tracking shot <laughs> in him. Spock recognizes his brother and chooses not to say anything. Gulp. Perhaps I have. I will not explain it to you now, for that would spoil the film. No, we need to build up the drama. Like, literally, what is the next thing that happens in that moment on the bridge? Perhaps I have, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk goes, oh, well. <laughs> I love those pants. Uh, I love the classic movie pants. The silhouette, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that outfit was designed for the silhouette it would have in that shot. Yep. With the boots and the... I do want Kirk's jacket. I love it. Young student. <laughs> he was not my brother. I do like the uh, inclusion. Of the ship's, the ship's you know, wheel, wheel, yeah, yeah. You no, know, Roddenberry would have hated it because he didn't like the connections to the navy. But yeah. uh, love the seafaring references. This was, I believe, a redress of ten forward, and a lot of the corridors are. You can, when you look at them, you realize they are Enterprise D corridors. This is where they started. Yeah, from Star Trek Five and Six, they redressed um, Next Generation sets, didn't they? Yeah, because they were there. Cheap.
It's got the compass, I think, on the side or the yeah star reader. The sextant. <laughs> I want a I want a supercut of all the times Uhura pretended to be having transmission difficulties. She repeats the exact same words that the captain says really well and she adds yeah. her own little flair to it. So the bird of prey is established. It is a plot point later in the film that they forget that the bird of prey is coming. Yes. Because they're so caught up in everything else that's going on. So this uh, shuttle rescue mission. The desert is, jumpers. Uh, yeah, this is conceptually i like everything that's happening like plot wise i love the idea of them going on a commando mission to rescue them with a shuttle but none of this is pulled off Ugh! it looks cheap and not just the special effects shot like they built that they built that city in the desert and it looks like a terrible matte painting <laughs> it looks like a horrible matte i'm there going that's a matte painting yeah <laughs> um yeah uh, and the desert jumpers, yeah, those those. Uh, if we did a um, a ranking of Starfleet uniforms, those brown desert jumpers would have to come in pretty low. But I like how they have a different outfit to go on guerrilla missions. I think that's and kind. It of must be somewhat practical. Like it's ca more camouflage than a maroon vest, I guess. Yeah. But it doesn't look particularly comfy in the desert. It looks a pretty snuggly. Klingon doing, um, Chekhov doing very good captaining here. Oh yeah. I love, I love Chekhov as captain. Not the first time. Star Trek two. He was under the, uh, the control of Khan pretending to be the commander of the. That's Empire. right. I don't think we've ever seen Pavel really be captain, like be responsible for the decisions being made. <laughs> we've only seen him be the with the warm body in the seat. <laughs> we have we to go. get Infamous. their attention. What do you think of the fan dance, Rob? Look. Ahura, Nicole Nichols can do no wrong, even if it's, you know, a very Bugs Bunny way to distract the bad guys. Yeah. I don't think there is a version of this scene that is great, but I think there are versions of the scene that could be better. Uh, a lot of this falls down for the same reason that everything in this segment falls down is just like the production looks cheap. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if that, filming like, at night is hard or what, but. And Ahura wasn't actually on the shuttle, so they would have had to spend another couple of hours to get her down just to dance. No, no, surely she was on the shuttle.
I don't know. We can't go back and look. We'd have to and watch it really... again, Rob. She did her hair, especially for the occasion. Mm-hmm. That would have taken a while. Oh, oh damn. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, did I actually hear them say as they were moving forward? I thought I heard one of them say, she's naked. <laughs> I swear. Probably. I swear one of them probably. said, she's naked. She's naked. Yeah, they had a good look out, if you know what I mean. Um. Security failure. One more in a long line of Star Trek security failures. Open the gate. Okay. <laughs> Hold your Hold horse, your Captain. Horse, Captain. Oh, yes. I like the 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 tricorder strapped on the shoulder, and like yeah. that's a cool move. Whoever came up with that was pay them extra. More of the uh, blue horned horses. Sulu doing really well. I wonder if that's George K actually riding, riding the horse. Uh, I doubt it. Well, that's not George. The roll, roll and shoot. I like how I he like... takes the mask off. He takes yes. the mask off to show <laughs> that it's actually him. Shoot. See my if face. It's me. heroic, I want you to it's bloody really see me. me. Yeah. The, um, the fact that the phaser beam moves... That's a particularly Star Trek original series effect of like, it's not a locked off phaser and it's not that you, sh you hold the phaser and shoot and the beam is completely stable. Like if you move your phaser, the beam changes its aim with it. It makes them look more dangerous. The fact that you could like sweep a room with it if you weren't careful. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the shields, love the shields. The shields are cool. The, the phaser hits. I, I could have been done better, but I love the beams and I love the props. Like them better than the pew, the the bullet version of phasers that we get later on. Yes. I really like the beam. I did like Spock Vulcan neck pinching. Oh yes, of course, neck pinching the horse. the horse. She's back in her uniform on the uh, shuttle. All right, Kirk goes in, and he's about to have his wrestling match with the three-breasted cat lady. So many naughty lines I could say here, but I won't because we are a respectable podcast. There she is. Lots of animal sounds in this, trying to sell it. She makes bird sounds. She makes cheetah sounds. She makes lion sounds. And there's a little bit of James Brown in there. Hey! <laughs> The uh, salesman on the TV is particularly next-gen season one. That's a lot more water. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. How much water is in there? Oh. <laughs> well done, David Warner. You had very little to do, but you make each line work. Yeah. And they've captured Uhura in the shuttle somewhere along the way here. Uh, Bones has lo never looked more tired. You can feel that this was a real night shoot. 
There's Nichelle. Mm -hmm. So Spock's collar is closed at the front, and uh, Kirk's is the others are open. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he wears it backwards. It looks cool. <laughs> oh. It's Cyber. <laughs> Kirk's like, what? <laughs> That's a good Spock line. That's awkward. Yeah. Oh. I like how Kirk was just watching the movie there. He like he was like, what's the next guy going to say? <laughs> Leonard Nimoy, they did not pay him enough. No. They probably did, but they did not pay him enough. Well, if he wasn't being paid enough, then the others <laughs> definitely weren't. He is charming. He is so he charming. He is very charming, yeah. Cool. <gasps> oh. oh. He was so convincing as captain. <laughs> Some good alien makeups in the background there. <laughs> yes. There you go. That is a wrap on Nimbus Three. Now that's a good. That's a good opening shot. Why didn't they have that for the first time, Cox? No, sorry, Cox. Dear, dear me, Spock. Kirk and McCoy came back to the ship. Instead of seeing the butt end of it behind them yeah. in front of the moon, that shot was quite lovely considering it's not ILM. They may have used it from another movie. Killer cams? Kelly cams? Have we Kelly cams, yes. I don't know if this is the first mention of Kelly cams, but uh, it's not the only one. We've had a couple of mentions of Kelly cams as Klingon kilometers. Is it a Klingon measurement or just a. Yes, it's a Klingon measurement of distance. Telecams. Yeah. Oh, he did something for real. He's good. He's actually good there. He's good. I want Captain Chekhov now. Everyone wants Ch Captain Ch Sulu. I want Captain Chekhov. <laughs> so, yes, the ship not moving, the shuttle looking very cheap. Yeah. And again, the ship not moving. So this is another like um, first of a starship in a window with a moving camera in the scene. Yeah. But it doesn't work because the perspective doesn't shift when the camera moves around. So you can tell it's just kind of a backlit image there in the, it in does, the yes. distance. 
But yeah, there, the Enterprise out of, uh, out of focus over his shoulder. Kirk's uh, collar is different than everyone else's. He is the captain. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, damn it, I don't care about regulations. Open my collar. I'm not just the director, I'm the actor. I'm the <laughs> captain, damn it. Let me do something. I can climb rocks. <laughs> I can sing in harmony. Clark. I like the red. <laughs> hey, as in barricade. Again, this is like. That's very cool. This I is love vague. That. It's. It can't be serious. And suddenly they all know, like, the secret code of barricade. Like, I don't know. It's got the shape. It's like someone did a rough draft and then they never polished it. No. These sections of the script. It's a cool idea that kind of happens from the earlier films, like in Wrath of Khan, where they're kind of making it up as they go along and they do certain things like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it isn't it's, polished and refined. Yeah, yeah. I like what they're going for, but they there's not the attention to detail to achieve it. Uh, I like I like anytime Sulu does something for the first time and looks like he has Graves' misgivings. <laughs> I don't know. I just do the orders. <laughs> Line and shield. Zoop. Whoosh. Yeah. I think the only thing that sells it is the fact that these, like these Not. crash things, you can tell they did some of this for real. So it gets points for that. Like it feels tangible, but it doesn't actually feel fast or dangerous. And that's so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the slowest it's... warp takeoff I've ever seen. Oh, it's like they've literally had cutouts and they've got little... Yeah. yeah, everything's hanging on a string. Very I do like the net. I like the sound of the net going up. That was a good sound oh, yeah. effect. Yep, yep. Very quiet. Very quiet in the crash shuttle. Ah. <laughs> uh, that rock gun again. I feel like if you're Kirk on your own ship, you would say, I can afford to get shot by a rock gun. <laughs> I'll take that hit if it's yeah. the difference between my ship getting kidnapped or not. They'll fix the rock gun shot. 
I'll take the annoyance. <laughs> Ow, that stung a bit. <laughs> there we go. We forget that uh, Vulcans are meant to be super strong. Yeah, humans are quite you know weak compared to the strength of the Klingons, strength of the Vulcans. Yeah. Uh, Again, the 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 wire work of Kirk being flung around there was not super convincing, but I like a reminder that that Vulcans are alien and different. <laughs> With the rock, Ooh. good line, well delivered. The shoot him. There's many things he could have done. Does not shoot him. Like there's not just A and B. But when your captain yells, shoot him, I feel like you should shoot him, you know? Mm. Maybe it's because it's his brother. But like, do you punch him out? Do you Vulcan neck pinch him? Do you, it's many ways to subdue someone. Yeah. There's a sense of like, there's some childhood bullying at play here. Spock's, yeah, uh, being triggered. I know no such thing. And this guy from the, the hole in the desert. He didn't get any more lines after the opening the gate, but um, and he was very good in job. the opening. He was very good in the opening, seeing his hand gestures when he says you're a Vulcan and the tilting yeah. of the head. Very good. Yeah. Ugh. Do you wish you got to see the the Uhura Yeah, I wish you'd seen all of their all their fears. At the start of the movie, we got a gratuitous fan service scene with every single character. And then we are robbed of what I feel like would be the true character revealing scenes that the plot would afford us here. <laughs> so again, the tone, this is the Star Trek four tone creeping in here. Yeah. <laughs> be changed how many times have i been directed in an improv scene to be changed kirk is not <laughs> changed by the news that spock has a brother i have a half brother <laughs> <laughs> there he is he's changed right there it's, yeah, he's hamming it up, unfortunately, yeah, and he's the director, is. so no one can tell him to stop it. There are two uh, Kirks at this point in the canon. 
there is this serious stately warrior um and then there's the like bumbling comic relief and they try to live in the same man in this film yes yeah i think it's shatner definitely wanting to lean in more going i'm i can be funny i'm funny i got the laughs in the last film yeah that scene it's a detriment to the scene that they played it for laughs well he was playing it it was in the script too though right yeah 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 either that or they changed it but um yeah d forrest kelly and uh leonard neboy are playing it straight but he's definitely trying to milk as much out of it yeah and D-, D gets some comic lines, but that's always been his role in the three of yeah. them. You want me to hold him, Jim, I think is a funny line. That's a great <laughs> You want me to hold him? Come on. Okay, you want to knock him on his ass? Okay, I'll do it. But Kirk should have been the one to say this isn't a laughing matter, but in, yeah. it ends up being Bones. Nice escape sequence. That's a very high route. Yeah. This is a nice clown scene. Again, <laughs> playing it straight, but it's funny because they're playing it straight. This is the dimensions of a starship kind of out of whack just for the gag. Like having a roof that tall. Uh-huh. You don't really have roofs, you know, ceilings that well, high. It is with- the brig, you know. It is the brig. So most of the brigs we've a security seen, feature, very high ceiling. low like barely low ceiling. The only high ceilings we see are down in the docking bay or the cargo hull. You might have to imprison a Nausicaan or something. <laughs> Oof, those warp trails. Hmm. They, they just did not have the time or money to say not good enough, do it again. It's weird. He, like Cyborg seems this more. This is very, uh, sorry, this is very Enterprise D. They did nothing to redress those yeah. hallways. What were you saying? I was just, he's like having having Cyborg on set just makes it look more, I don't know what it is. It looks more TV show-esque. But when you had him wow. out on location or stuff like that, it really had a that reality to it, which was good. But now it just feels like we're on. I feel like a, it's the lighting. Because you can do a bridge set and make it feel cinematic. We've seen it many times. The lighting is very bright. I mean, we are used to Star Trek Four, which we've just come from. Where you can the see a shadow when he gestures against the wall. You can see a shadow there, and that feels like. Yeah. I don't. I'm no expert in lighting, but when you can see the Vulcan's just shadow shadow against it, the background of the bridge, something's gone wrong. But yeah, this bridge feels very small and non-cinematic. It seems weird that Spock would be just realizing that now, even though um, Cyborg said, you know I'm right in the, in the shuttle bay. Again, yeah, just it is the, more the logic of these scenes is just not quite tight. It is more a line of exposition to deliver to the yeah. audience as opposed to yeah. what what Spock would actually know. Could it be the thing I already know is true rather than false? It's a shame they stayed in their uh, guerrilla tactical outfits for so long. 
one scene's okay, but yeah. That happens a lot in Star Trek movies. They get stuck in the wardrobe that they were in when they they lost control of, you know, Star Trek three. They spend the entire time in the same wardrobe they were in in or Star Trek four. Four. They spend the entire wardrobe in because they blew up their ship and all their clothes with it. But yeah, like Kirk's outfit in Star Trek four and most of Star Trek three, I I don't like at all. It's a weird button up patterned Mm. shirt and yeah. I like this stuff. Not everyone likes this stuff, but I like this stuff. This is cute. Yeah. Them working together. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Doohan, what a legend. If he could have sworn he would have, and I would have been okay with that. If he dropped the F-bomb there going... All right, so everyone close your eyes for the next scene. Oh, uh, dear. They do him a dirty. Scotty goes from being the expert on his ship to walking into a pipe, and the only reason is, I mean, I guess they need him to be knocked out so that Uhura can wake him up in the sickbay later. Bunk. It's not very Kirk to say, you're amazing either. Yeah. And the fact that he knocks himself out and they're still in the corridor, you can just see them turning. Okay, so my stomach just did a backflip when I saw this turbo shaft because of the attention to detail issue that I mentioned earlier. Yes. You know what I'm about to, to complain about? The amount of levels? Well, they're climbing from deck six to deck seven to deck eight as they go up. <laughs> and we all know that deck one on a starship is the bridge. Yep. And the lower decks are the high numbers. So they built this whole set and hand painted those numbers on that wall in the wrong freaking order. <laughs> Were there no Star Trek fans on the crew of this movie? Clearly not. They needed Terry Metalis to be this doing some thing that I cannot forgive this movie for is that the deck numbers are going the wrong direction. It's just the moment where I go, oh, I care more about this than the people making this. Because <laughs> you can tell they were reusing the same segments of set. Yeah. Um, and just changing the sign that was there. So they could have swapped the numbers at any time. It's not like it was something that was caught after they were painted and they could no longer change it. It was it was it was there to be changed. <laughs> Nobody cares. N- not even you care, Rob. I can tell by the look on your face. Look. Look, it's it, it's it's a sad state of affairs when when a, a fact like that takes away from the from the actual reality of the story. But it's true. Sure. It's, it, this this type of stuff does happen. Are they standing on Spock's feet or not? That is uh, inconsistent in these shots. There was some sort of gripping or pad. Yeah.
Oh man. <laughs> it is a it is an awkward scene. Yeah. The rocket boots should have been taken out of this movie. I, I kind of like the banter with Spock hovering next to Kirk on the rock face at the start of the movie, but the fall and then this entire business with the turbo shaft, the payoffs for it. It'll give you more freedom to add in more stuff where we actually see the fear of each uh, crew member. Oh yeah. This is something else. The Romulan lady gets to do. She gets to pretend to be Starfleet command. That is some vague coordinates. Again, our coordinates are 000 Mark II. That is meant to give Starfleet Command everything they need to find the Enterprise in the wide swath of the galaxy. So many zeros. <laughs> oh. I mean, I guess 000, if you were, because we know... The sun is on the line between the alpha and beta quadrants, which could yeah. be zero, zero on some sort of coordinate system. And if they're traveling straight towards the center of the galaxy, that might explain all the zeros, right? I think there's some sort of justification there that we can always make ourselves feel better about that we can believe it. We should talk about this scene, though, because this is, this is one of the good bits of this movie. Mm-hmm. And the lighting's gotten better. That's much better lighting, isn't it? Imagine this with the bright TV lighting. Oof, <laughs> that would not work. Oof. And how it shifts into the flashback moments is really beautifully done. It's not like a fading of the, you know, dissolving of the light. It's like as if they're there and they step in out of the light. It's really good. Yes. So it's worth noting the background here is a moving star field, but that's going to change throughout this scene as well. Okay, so here's the payoff of Scotty bonking his head. Scotty, dear. <laughs> so Scott Cybok, we are given to believe has not only turned Uhura to his cause, but um, the truth she he has made her face is her love for Scotty, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very tactile. I like to touch the set. This was uh this was this must have been his audition scene, you know. Unpronounceable. Strange thing for a Vulcan to say. I don't know what the light below them is. They're leaning over something that is lighting. It's from the from the, the table they raised up to Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The communication station. That's good. How? He's very good, Dave Forrest Kelly. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I said earlier that like Cybok's power is vague. This is as specific as it gets in this scene. We actually get to live the experience through McCoy and Spock. Oh, DeForest Kelly doing great work. The back yeah. in the way. So good. Oh, makes me feel very good. Look at that. I like, I love that shift. Yeah. That's all done, you know, on the actual set. Oh, yeah. That's just like a backlit matte painting or whatever. But uh, it works. Step into my scene. Father. I wish we knew his name. Again, these scenes work because of the strength of the acting and the theatricality of this of the set and all of that. And it works really well. But I think there's there's opportunity for even more. Oh, the rain on the window I've never noticed before. I'm with you, Dad. There's in these scenes we in some ways find out more about these characters that are archetypes most of the time. We see some yeah. specifics and it makes me want for even more. I wish I knew his dad's name. I like even if it was just written on a panel next to the bed. I wish I knew what city that was. Yeah. I wish his dad called him something other than son. I wish he called him Leonard or Lenny or something, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, there is, it's, it's quite, you know, just son, father, and it's so powerful, but there are the, just little hints and elements just to individualize it and make it not so generic. It would have been yeah. even more powerful. That's how you know actors make it work. Good actors make it work, but it could yeah. have just been that little hint more into a bit more of an insight into Lenny. <laughs> but they do a lot with a little. That uh, that device, like, is is that device part of the vision, or is it something that he carries around? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know the story of that. That device, the turning turning off life support device. It's a very big illusion. Yeah. Uh, and I am not criticizing this. I genuinely love this scene. Well done, Dave Forrest. He's not done yet. And they're taking the time for it, which I really like. Yeah. yeah. His dignity. What was the name of the disease? Oh, the background. Look, it's the Great Barrier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See episode 49 of Subspace Radio for our thoughts, our first thoughts on the Great Barrier. We're about to have a lot more of the Great Barrier. 
we'll take together, he says, and looks away. Yeah. That, I love that move because it cheapens it. Yep. Yeah. He's ready to move on to the next one. He He's doesn't care. On to the doesn't next one. Care. Yeah. We're done here. We'll take together if I remember your name. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way. The great observation. Yeah. He's t he turns away, moving on to Spock. They go, we'll do yeah. it together. You're just another yeah. one to my pause. Yeah. I'm in a hurry here. So this uh, this little this little vignette less successful in my mind. I think a bit just because Spock is less moved by it. Yeah, uh, it and it's feels also more like a cave painting to me than something that Spock gets pulled into as an. Experience. And they share these visions with each other. Yeah, it this idea like how much do the others see? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, again, it's not made clear. It's left vague. To the detriment nice gold fingernails there. Oh yeah, and the the Vulcan ears on the baby. That must not have been easy. They look very realistic. Mark Leonard voice cameo. So it's different because. In Bones's vision, it was something Bones was there to experience the first time, and he was reliving it. And this is, I mean, technically Spock is there, but he lived it as a baby and wouldn't remember yes. it in person. And uh, it feels more disconnected for that reason. Uh, I like Bones, or Bones playing the, uh, being right on the edge. Yeah affected by it and starting to argue for Cybok, but not wanting to go against his friends either. Love this speech. I know you love this speech. I kind of love this speech, but I can't help but wonder what we would have seen if Cybok had given an opportunity, mm -hmm. had been given the opportunity to show Kirk something. I feel like this this script is afraid to go there with its captain. Star Trek has, especially in this era, is so precious about its captains. When Kirk falls off his chair in Star Trek Three because David is dead, there was a lot of talk of like the captain never falls out of his chair. Oh God. Then like no matter how many torpedoes are being thrown at the ship the captain never falls out of their chair that is a line we do not cross and then they cross that line and it was meant to be a big deal i feel like this is this scene is another kirk will, won't fall out of his chair we're not even going to give him the opportunity of seeing him knocked down by whatever vision cybok would show him we see a little bit of that in Star Trek 2 and 3 definitely we see the pain and we see it in 6 as well you know yeah it's interesting the one that um kirk that um you know uh, Shatner doesn't direct. They do yeah. a lot more exploring of the weakness of him. Yeah. So you see, I, you know, the I don't of think him. it's I don't think it's William Shatner who doesn't want to go there because he is so quick to um, be the butt of the joke in all the rest of this movie. <laughs> that I don't think he is worried about preserving his status as captain hmm. 
I think it's just either the scriptwriter didn't know what to do with that scene or Star Trek had a rule of you won't make the captain look weak. Yeah. And probably not. I don't know. Well, I have, I'll have to find out more about the actual screenwriter. It's like green. Nicholas, it's the Great Barrier. I forgot the Great Barrier was green ever so briefly. The green is passing over us. No more green. Kind of like the effects, like it's like the paint and liquid type of. Yeah, here on the bridge, uh, the lighting has improved, but all of the barrier lighting is added in post. Like it's not actually flickering on their face and casting shadows. It's and you can see that frame post lighting, and we got a that kind, kind of, of stuff smoky... I like that. That is like kind the smoky of smoky stuff. Yeah, the smoke tank, the lightning. Eh. Yeah, the lightning looks cheap. Hand animated. Uh, like camera shake that is not actually making them unsteady on their feet. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on at the top of the frame there? There's like some kind of crunch, crusty crust at the top of the Great Barrier. Whoosh. So there's a lot of music. And there's a lot of flickering and a bit of camera shake, and then they're through. That's it. And then it. they're through. That's it. They didn't even do anything. Like, there was no orders given. There was no sweating the shields or anything. I guess we are given to believe that Cybok was given a vision, and the, the alien that lives on this planet dissipated the barrier in order to let them through. Yeah, there wasn't even that much of a massive challenge or threat or anything like no. that. And maybe, it's... and maybe usually there is, but on this day where Cybok knew to come here, there wasn't. And it's a good example of a plot happening to our characters rather than them being active participants in it. Exactly. It's like a, it's an old writing problem you have when you're a kid. You just want to get to the exciting stuff. When you're writing, when you're a young kid writing for the first time, you go, oh, do I have to write them getting to the location? I just want to get there. And it yeah. seems the case of going, let's do some flashlights and I'll do it all in description and just get through it so we can get to the space. Yeah. Get to shockery. Vortavor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why a human would think this was Eden, because <laughs> Eden's meant to be a place on Earth, right? Look at Chekhov. Chekhov's got this big smiley grin on his face going, hey. <laughs> I didn't see it. Hey, oh, captain's it. back. I don't have to be captain anymore. Bit of uh, focus issues there. Mm -hmm. Must have been awkward them all standing behind that railing. That's, yeah. I talked earlier about the positioning of the three shot when they've arrived at the Enterprise. That was beautifully done. That was very yeah. awkward. They're all standing on one side of the ship. <laughs> I feel like if you're if you're behind the railing, you're a guest on the bridge. 
And there's too much of our crew being guests on the bridge. Yes. Um, Cybok has changed out of his Vulcan fineries into a white bathrobe. As everyone is now in their traditional uniforms and thank heavens they've got out of yeah. the griddle. Everyone took a moment to change, take a shower before they go down to Eden. Had a shower, yeah, got themselves cleaned up. If you're going to go see God, you get a... Uh... So, Shakari from space was that it almost looked like a chrysalis, like it looked half transparent, a, uh, a globe of glass. And then there's like the purple mountains effect that slowly resolve into this Midwestern desert scene. <laughs> Is it Monument Valley? I think, did they film in Monument Valley? That would make sense. Everyone filmed in Monument Valley. Or a um, a cheap stand-in near Hollywood. Yes. If they couldn't get to Arizona, they just went yeah. to California. I half expected uh, Vasquez Rock's appearance when I rewatched Ah, this. yes. We'll play a short way. Copernicus. How about that? Pour one out for that shuttlecraft font. The typeface. Yeah, it's very the, uh, shuttlecraft. Very curvy. That's from the original series. That's like that's a little bit of '60s graphic design that survives here. Very cute. I feel like it's one of the last times we see it before it reappears in Prodigy. Just as I knew it would be, the land and the sky. It looks pretty barren. It looks very barren. <laughs> the uh, the script and the the obvious tire tracks through the mountains there. Yeah, unfortunate. There's a um a, a classic <laughs> moment in a Doctor Who story called The Three Doctors, where they're meant to have a representation of singularity, and in the script it was a big flame. And of course, nineteen uh seventies -huh. Doctor Who budget couldn't afford that, so they just had a smoke machine puffing <laughs> up. And they still kept the script the same. So there's a moment where one of the characters has to walk through it and they're terrified <laughs> and they turn back and they go, it's all right. You can walk through it. I'm going, yeah, that's still a leftover from, <laughs> from the flame as opposed to looking at a smoke machine and going, oh, I'm terrified. Yes. Yeah. So the effect of Cyborg looking at just a barren desert and a plain sky going, it's just as I imagined. I want to analyze every piece of equipment strapped to Scotty's belt it's there. a very big light roddy thing that he had <laughs> never seen it's anything the same wrench he was poking under the bridge station at the start of the movie it's huge it's absolutely massive uh add one to the list of bridge crews watching star trek on tv <laughs> and, uh, and here we go here is the klingon ship that no one notices has returned Last seen on its way to, oh, last seen at uh, Nimbus 3 when they, uh, when they tried to shoot them and they warped away. So they just didn't know they'd been followed. It's finding that balance. You don't want to have to walk too far because at the end they've got to get back to the ship. Mm. But there's... 
there's a sense like the acting here says we made it to that place we were walking towards. But it like they've just walked over a hill and it looks the same. Yeah. It's the geography is quite arbitrary and all the shots are close because they know they don't have anything to show us. And what they could have done is just go over with the ship. Yeah, they need a, an establishing shot or something. Oh, yeah, they could have flown over it. Yeah, just flown over again. Yeah, so, yeah, just the internal logic of this is miss that tightening up. Like, where did they choose to go? Did they have an energy reading? Are they at yeah, the exactly. coordinates of it's the energy reading? Like, that would have worked. That's all it's it would have taken. Yeah. It's it a, is a planet. Big, big and, you, know, you need to have some sort of pinpoint. Yeah. Some sort of accuracy of where you're landing. Sorry, dude. The gr regretful grimace of Spock is good. Dutch angle, weird shot. At least they're uh, they're selling it. They're shifting on their feet. <laughs> a lot of head turns. A lot of yeah. Look this way. Look this way. We'll figure it out later. So famously, the end of this, like from from the shuttle landing onward, this movie ran out of money and uh, had to be rewritten for something that could be produced on a much smaller budget. There was going to be a lot of visual effects and rock monsters and things like that. Um, so much so that every time I watch this movie now, I am surprised I don't see a monster. Uh, <laughs> Because I've, I, I don't know, because I read that novel or I read the comic book adaptation or I've just heard the interviews over the years regretting the fact that they couldn't do the rock monster. But I remember a rock monster. <laughs> Maybe it's a Galaxy Quest that's bleeding in. You remember the rock monster at the start <laughs> of Galaxy Quest? And that's exactly what the, uh, the people behind Galaxy Quest want you to do. Can, yeah. You can tell no difference between Star Trek and Galaxy Quest. That's I do right. like how they shoot the uh pillars coming up they shoot them in a way so like from behind as they yeah. come up shooting down to give it that scale and the yeah and it's again like you know jaws with the whole don't show everything so quickly you know hold back on showing the monster they really hid so that they could have that final effect of all the rocks surrounding them but mm. shot them in a way so any other way it would have been seen how dodgy they were yeah they still looked a little plastery, but at least you could tell they were there and they were the right size. They weren't all created in post. I like the sparkly, uh, the sparkly sand before this yeah. thing shot up too. Earn your paycheck, DeForest. Yeah. You get the sense, like, it's definitely true for the actor, but you get the sense that for the character as well, like, ironically, McCoy is the most religious of the three. 
that effect's very cheap. That's yeah. very cheap. <laughs> I was hoping to distract you from it. Oh. I'll say this for it. At least it casts shadows. <laughs> like that light is hitting our actors. It's not the same light, but at least there was a bright light on set that day. Very, um, the vision of God as a man with a, with a curly beard, it feels like, <laughs> it feels like a, uh, a trope that was just, just about to pass its prime here. does look like it was used one of the hot curlers. Yeah. What does God need with a starship is a... Beautiful. It's a good line. I think he makes a bit too much of a meal out of it here. He was really looking forward to giving that line. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't you go. It's <laughs> I want I want to like it because the Star Trek of it is great. The look look if there's if there is an almighty God, and I am open to being convinced, but I, the moment I'll see a logical flaw, uh, I'm not going to go along with it. Uh, is good. Like, that is good Star Trek writing, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting the reaction shot was of two of the supporting characters. So you look at the Romulan yeah. and the human shocked about Kirk getting hit. I'm going, why yeah. would they care? Yeah. Yeah. We don't see Leonard Nimoy take the hit. We only see... Kirk and Bones turn. So this is the culmination of so much of what Gene Roddenberry wanted to do in Star Trek in his later years. Like he wrote he wrote a script called The God Thing. The the animated series, we saw them go and and you know deal with the question of God and the devil. This ultimately like Captain of the Enterprise Fights God was the the last unrealized idea that Gene Roddenberry had for Star Trek, I feel like. And here hmm. we get to see it play out. And it's, I want to say, it's not as bad as one might have feared. Like, budget issues and production issues aside, the story denouement here of uh, Kirk meets something claiming to be God and realizes immediately it's a con because the logic doesn't hold up is good. This one suits you best because you think you're God, I guess is the implication. Love the smoke going off uh, Kirk there. Yeah, it's good.
a good glimpse of what Luckin Bill was doing with Cybok because he's playing a very contrasting character there. You get to see yeah. it's not just him playing himself. He was he's playing two different, very different characters on both sides of this scene. <laughs> it's good he gets a good ending cyborg i mean the effects are not good this is what i want to remember when they show us cyborg in strange new worlds when they show us young cyborg that this is this is the end he's going towards yeah it, it'll be interesting to see still, what like, they foreshadow of this re-watching there isn't really a connection between I like the whole thing. We don't really know what that thing is hidden behind the barrier that pretends to yeah. be God. I can't, I like that idea, but it's just yeah. a case of Cybok's mission and this this trapped creature don't really link. They don't connect. No. And like when he says, "I'm here for Shakari," he goes, "Oh, you're looking that for that." There's no side of sense he hasn't reached out to him or they aren't connected. They're like two separate storylines that have kind yeah, of just. It's left too vague. Yeah. Yeah. Did he so summon Cyborg here or not? Yeah. Yeah. There's no connection there going. I summoned you. I called you here. It's this case of going, all right. Okay. This is what you're looking for. Well, I'll, I'll be this for you now. Yeah. Just to get away. It's um, yeah. It's, it's points that don't really have a connecting um, thrust. Yeah. A connecting thrust? What am I watching? Something I know I know what you mean. Hmm. It's uh it's uh the vague gestures of a Star Trek plot that again just yes. didn't have that that time for that final pass to make it all hold together. Feel and like for, cause and effect was rewarding. And the, like you said, the amount of times they were leading towards this point of this, this, the you know the captain of a starship going up against God, which is very much Roddenberry's you know, play, and it's there a lot in the original series. It's almost a, a let. Well, it is a letdown. It is a letdown. You have one little overcooked speech, not even a speech, a couple of lines mm. from Kirk going, "What does God want with a starship? Why is God angry?" Mm. Um, yeah, could have been played. So, is Kirk alone now? Is Kirk alone? Ah, mm. because he isn't like he doesn't have anyone right there next to him. No, he's not. He's got his team and his people. Wow, that starship did not look good. It was slightly that, rotating, but it was otherwise completely two dimensional. And I saw the lighting on it glitch in a couple of frames and jump off the hull. Yeah. <sighs> David Warner knocked out. Captain Claw. Captain Claw with two A's on the end. Kirk. Interesting, interesting accent.
I love a bit of bridge view screen business. There's just not enough of it in this film. No. Every time it happens, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what I want. <laughs> you, sir, you will try. Interesting move. It's another, just like Spock's yeah at the start. You can tell he's grown. <laughs> he's he's mellowed. Didn't logic him. He he berated him into connecting him back choice. to his rock climbing. So yeah, this <laughs> the floating head is what in my memory of this film has been replaced with a rock monster climbing the cliffs behind him. <laughs> And it doesn't say anything. It just goes, ooh, again with the guns. I'm pretty sure that's the same effects shot, just with different lighting as we got at the start that of the film when they there. shot the space garbage. What'd you say? Klingon bastards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's such a letdown. <laughs> Man, I don't know what they could have done better with it. No. But... He's good. A swag. It's good that they established the swiveling chair earlier. <laughs> it's a cheap it's a cheap shot in the end but it works in this film <laughs> see that's how comedy should work in Star Trek yeah. is Kirk plays guy. the straight man I think the Klingons would have appreciated a good man hug yeah I think so too so unfleshed out those characters like that is meant to be the rewarding end of their arc yeah there's the muscle she has wonderful bus there's the I, line if there's one thing I learned in 2023 is I did not realize what a thing Chekhov had for Klingon women 
Mm hmm Yes, he did. And uh, Sulu enabled him. <laughs> In so many of these scenes, I don't know what you're looking at, Rob, but I am looking at their insignia on their uniforms. I love how three-dimensional they are. Yes. There's a and scene mental. earlier. Yeah. When when McCoy was like switching off the life support for his dad, his arm went down and you could see just the the layers of epaulets and insignias stacked mm -hmm. on top of each other. It was very satisfying. But I'm back. That's good. That's good. That's a good moment. That's good. The little bits of character we get in this are so, like, that's the good stuff at the heart of this movie. And especially, you know, you look at Star Trek two, where he looked at the family that he could have had or the family he didn't know he had. Yeah. Um, and to, for him to realize this is my family is a beautiful moment. Yeah. That's like for all its faults, and they are many. This is more of a bad movie than a good movie, I will say. But yeah. I would not lose it. Like I wouldn't skip over it because you would miss those things. I think there's more good in this genuine good stuff than there is in, say, Star Trek Nemesis. Mm, yeah. Which kind of get those two kind of get pulled in the same banner of hatred or dislike. Yeah. Nemesis has better production values than this, but it does. the story and the character beats are not as strong. They they sell out their characters in ways this movie doesn't. Except oh, yeah. when Scotty takes the hit in the corridor. <laughs> so there we go. There we go. Sir John Talbot is uh is listed there, but uh there's Kathleen Kathleen Dar. Doesn't come until later on. David George Warner gets Murdoch. higher billing than the other two ambassadors. Well, he was quite well established by this stage. So he'd already done like Time Bandits. He'd done Tron. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. listening to. I feel like someone scored a coup yeah. by getting David Warner in this movie and then they forgot to do, write anything for him to do. <laughs> That's the one. And then they went, you know what? You want to come back for the next one so you can actually <laughs> do something. Yeah. So yeah, there the, we go. Uh, it's How a next gen and original uh, motion picture theme here as well. This would have been quite confusing at the time to hear the next what what mainstream audiences would most recognize as the Star Trek: The Next Generation theme. For for me as a Star Trek fan. At that point, I was actually quite confused because I'm there going, hang on, they're using the music from the from the TV show. Oh, it mm. wasn't this huge, and I had to go back and watch the VHS, VHS of yeah. the motion picture, and they had it there. I'm going, well, why is it only in these ones and not in – and so, like, anytime I really wanted to hear the theme because I didn't have any next-generation videotapes, I'd have to chuck on Star Trek V just to listen to the the opening music because it was there going, that's really good Star Trek music mm. on your Jerry Goldsmith. 
Well, final thoughts on Star Trek Five, Rob? Yeah, look, the stuff that works is really, really good. The stuff that doesn't work, it's it's a it's 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 a shame that it's been let down by um, cutting corners on costs. Um, it it shows that you know some actors need a good director just to 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 pull them in. Um, yeah. And uh, Shatner is let off on a leash a bit too much here, um, which is a shame. Um, and a little bit of exploration of the side characters better than we have you know, the other supporting cast, but then they're kind of left to the side as our main three go for it again. Um, but yes, the stuff that doesn't hold up certainly doesn't hold up at all. And the plot holes near the end just um, just make it kind of like a forgettable telly movie as opposed to something they could have elevated. And they kind of... It, it's definitely a criticism on tele televangelists and those type of people manipulating the pain of, of those less fortunate. Um, mm. But there could have been some big swings that could have hit really well that they didn't really take. They kind of backed off a bit. How about you? I, for me, it's, it's kind of tragic that I wish I could pin down this movie to just one thing that it did wrong that is the source of all its problems. And that if you fix that one thing, you can see the good movie that would exist on the other side of it. But I feel there's at least three things that go wrong with this film. One is it learned the wrong lessons from Star Trek four and attempted comedy when it shouldn't have. It played it for laughs when it should have been playing it straight. Mm -hmm. um, and our, our captain was hamming it up when he was, he shouldn't have been. And there wasn't anyone on set who could tell him to, to, to rein him in. The second is the attention to detail stuff. There just was not either time or care given to do that polish pass that would make this story hold together, that would make the details satisfying. Mm -hmm. And uh, the third one is visual effects that, uh, you know, ILM was missing in action here. And so much of the visuals are just let down as a result. The, the, the stuff that should look um, convincing looks cheap and like done on yes. a shoestring. Um, and, and really, especially today, doesn't hold up in an era of digital effects. These were cheap optical effects, not even good optical effects. So... Um, all three of those things, like you could fix any one of them and it would still be a bad movie because the other two would drag it down, I feel like. And that that's that's what um that's what I regret most about Star Trek Five. Um I, but look, there is good I, in this one. I agree. I agree. There's some good stuff in there and the good stuff is is really good. Um, but the bad stuff really lets it down and is, yeah, yeah, frankly, you know, quite embarrassing um <laughs> but the stuff that's great you just go oh if, if yeah if only if only is a great way to to look at star trek five it's part of their story though like i said i wouldn't skip it if if someone were watching star trek in order to 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 get the whole story this oh, is, need to there are yeah. there are episodes that you should skip because they <laughs> they do no good and plenty of harm this one does enough good that it is worth putting up with the harm. Definitely, definitely. It's not one you should skip. Um, the 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 plots 
the character beats that move them forward, realizations, um, you know, the delving into um, uh, the past of some of the cast is a uh, characters is is definitely essential uh, viewing, yeah. and you just have to tolerate um, a plot that makes no sense and doesn't really connect and um, stuff like that to to get to the juicy stuff. Yep. So are Scotty and Uhura in love now? Um, maybe they just, well, they, we don't see much of that in Star Trek six. So maybe they just yeah. had a bit of a, a flingy thing and he doesn't yeah. really talk much about her in his return episode in next generation. So no, it is, it is written off in that sick bay scene that, uh, that she's under the influence and Scotty needs to not take advantage of the situation, but she's pretty yeah. flirty at the start with those chip bags. I have to say. Yeah, even at the start they're flirty. So, um, so yeah, I think there's definitely something there. They just, um, yeah, didn't want to explore it any further than they needed to. <laughs> well, thank you, Rob, and thank you, listeners, for joining us in this viewing of Star Trek Five. You know, we start at the bottom and work our way up. Exactly. Wait for another fifty episodes, and we'll do a really good one. But we've got um, Prodigy to watch to build up that algorithm to pick up those uh, viewing figures so that Netflix, because they are they are cold, harsh people when it comes to viewing figures and numbers. And if you do not reach a certain algorithm number, uh, you're cast aside like yesterday's meal. Yes, indeed. And I think Discovery Season 5 is still next on the docket in April. So... As of now, I, I they haven't said when season two of Prodigy is going to land on Netflix. No, but it's soonish. Uh, no, we shall they wait and see. Give season one, the t the time to land and for people to binge it, and then they'll drop season two. So we might get Prodigy season two before Discovery season five. But one way or the other, we will be back to discuss them when there is new Star Trek on our screens again. So, yes, thank you for joining us for 50 episodes. Thank you for joining us for our 50th episode. And we'll definitely be back in, uh, we are in 2024 right now. And we've got Discovery, we've got Prodigy, we've got season three of uh, Strange New Worlds now filming. So um, the future is looking bright in the world of Star Trek. Indeed. Uh, well, I can't wait, but we'll be back soon. Bye for now, Rob. See you soon.